0: Welcome to our podcast. It's great to have you with us. I'm Father Patrick Wainwright. As we are starting this new year, I pray that our Lord may give you, and all of us, new hope that we may work together for a society that is more Christ-like, more faithful to God's plan for each one of us, and for our world as a whole. In today's episode, we will answer a question from one of our listeners. As I mentioned before, I would like to do this every so often, hopefully Maybe one episode a month, depending on the questions that I receive. And today's question is about the Catholic Church. Specifically, what are some simple reasons, actually, they're asking me for to give three reasons, why the Catholic Church is the true Church of Christ. So, here is the audio clip of the question that I received. Hi, Father Patrick. This is Ryan, and I am a freshman here in Illinois. And my question today is, if you could share three reasons on why the Catholic Church is the true church uh, when talking to non-Catholics, what would those three things be? Anyways, I love your podcast, and I hope you're doing well. God bless. Thank you, Ryan, for sending me your question. Now, I'll give you all, all the listeners, a little bit of the context surrounding Ryan's question. He studies in an environment which is Most of his classmates are members of some Protestant denomination, and therefore he has to be defending his Catholicism, the Catholic Church, on a regular basis. So, you might find many more reasons to argue in favor of the Catholic Church uh, being the true church, but here are the ones that I find to be probably most useful and most to the point. As a first consideration, I may want to say that none of these reasons may be enough in and of itself, or on its own, to convince anyone. Instead, you will have to use these reasons together, almost like building an argument with the three of them together. The movement toward conversion of anyone has like a double aspect. On the one hand, the grace of God has to move us interiorly, because without that grace we would never have faith in the church, nor in Jesus Christ, nor in God. It is the grace of God that moves our intelligence and our will toward Jesus Christ and His church. Now, on the one hand, we have our human faculties, our intelligence, and our will to see some truths, and with our will, we choose to embrace those truths. And on the other hand, the grace of God that moves us and impels us interiorly. So, God's grace on one hand, our human faculties on the other. Now, on the side of the human aspect, we also have the intelligence and the will. In this sense, the reasons we will argue or we'll use will be or will give so many indications of where the truth is, like so many arrows, right, that point in a specific direction that suggest that the truth is in a particular place. Now, these reasons don't work like a math problem that is solved with 100% certainty. They only give what we call moral certainty of where the truth lies. And therefore, they always leave room for opposition or rejection if one doesn't want to believe in them. In other words, these reasons alone are never enough if the will of the person is unwilling to see the truth. This is why giving reasons to believe is only one step in the process for a person to embrace the the church or the truth. The grace of God is necessary, as is the willingness to embrace what we see and seems to be the truth. So, the grace of God has to work on one hand, On the other hand, we have our human faculties. And within our human faculties, we have the reason and the will. The reason sees the truth that directs or points in one direction, but the will has to be willing to embrace that truth. If we are attached to some vice or to some activity that goes against those reasons, typically the will can incline the mind and the intelligence not to see what is evident at some point. So, that is important as a background to all that we're going to say. Now let's go to those reasons. The first reason, in fact, is like a foundation for the rest of the other reasons, right? The, the first one would be like a foundation for the other two. The first reason to believe in the true church is that the church must be one. One. One because there aren't many true churches, but also one, because the true church cannot be clearly divided or separated in itself. When our Lord established His church, He intended it to be one, as He said to St. Peter on, in Matthew 16:18 in Caesarea Philippi, I say to you, you are Peter, And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. So our Lord spoke about my church, or his church, not his churches. And therefore we should realize that there should be one church established by Christ in existence today. St. Paul, as well, writing to the Ephesians, Said that there is one faith, one baptism, and one body, which refers to the church of Christ, as we read in the letter to the Ephesians. I, then, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live in a manner worthy of the call you have received, striving to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. One body. And one spirit, as you were also called to the one hope of your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Up to there, St. Paul. So, as a first argument, there should be one true church, and therefore one faith. Now, in order to be only one, this church must be universal. In other words, one church Reaching out to the whole world and not limited to one region or country. In this sense, there must be a unity in time and space within the true Church of Christ. So the true Church cannot be limited to a political party or an ethnicity or a particular region or country. And therefore, it must be over and above all these countries and parties and regions while maintaining its unity in the faith and its unity in government. Besides, any church that is the true church of Christ must claim to be one. I mean, to be one. United, right? Right. And desire to be one. If a church doesn't claim to be one, then obviously it's not the one church of Christ. Now, Moving on to the next two reasons. These upcoming two reasons are based on the fact that Jesus Christ clearly established a church as a body, and he did so on the foundation of the apostles, like 12 columns. And therefore, the church must be apostolic, or be the church today must be established on apostolic foundations. So the second reason is that the true church of Christ today must be a continuation of the church established by Christ. And this is guaranteed by the apostolic succession. As our Lord said to St. Peter, Matthew sixteen eighteen. I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it after the words of christ as you may notice sometimes uh, we could translate netherworld or hell it's the same thing right as the kingdom of darkness if you want the kingdom of satan anyway we also read at the very end of the gospel of st matthew matthew 28:20 20, christ said to all the apostles together the following go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Up to there are the words of Christ. From these statements, then, it is clear that Jesus would always accompany, support, and defend his church. And therefore, it is not possible... That the Church of Christ would have been destroyed or completely disappeared at any point in time throughout history. On the contrary, it should always continue to be the same, united by the same head, which is Saint Peter and his successors. In that sense, there must be a clear and visible continuity between the Church initially established by Jesus Christ and the church that claims to be the Church of Christ today. That clear and visible continuity is given by the apostolic succession, which is the uninterrupted uninterrupted passing on of the priesthood from the apostles to all the generations of their successors until the bishops of today. And more specifically, the line of successors of St. Peter until today's successor, which is the Bishop of Rome, the Pope, which today is Pope Francis. So when Jesus established his church, he established it as a visible body, a visible body with a visible authority and a visible head, not a spiritual entity. It was clearly visible. And that visible head of the body was St. Peter the Apostle. And those who would come as his successors after his death would be the successors as head of that visible body, the visible sign of unity, the the Pope, right? The holy pontiff, the successor of St. Peter. In that sense, it has been of the greatest importance to always look at the successor of St. Peter, the Bishop of Rome, to know which is the one true Church of Christ at each point in time throughout history. And this is why, already in the 4th century, one of the Church Fathers, St. Ambrose of Milan, clearly stated in Latin, Ubi Petrus, Ibi Ecclesia. That is, where Peter is, there is the Church. In other words, where the successor of St. Peter is, the Pope, there is the Church of Christ. Now let us move on to the third reason. A third reason, then, that you could argue in favor of the Catholic Church is the continuity of the teachings passed on by Jesus Christ to the apostles and their successors. In a word, the teachings of the Church of Christ embraced today must be, in essence, the same that those taught by the apostles. There has to be obviously a continuity from the things that the apostles taught as taught by Christ to the things taught by the church of Christ today. That would give an identity to the church of Christ. And this would be then the third reason. While some minor developments or even changes in matter of discipline are reasonable and are to be expected the bulk of the beliefs that are at the heart of god's revelation through jesus christ must be the same today and always this is understood in those words of christ that i have just quoted above right matthew 28:20 20, when jesus said to the apostles at the end of the gospel of saint matthew go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Those last words of Christ are very important. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So if the church wants to be faithful to Christ, it must continue to teach and observe everything that He has commanded us and not change the truths taught by our Lord. This is why it is so important to look at what the church fathers taught in the first centuries. The church fathers are holy men that were prominent in the first centuries of the church and taught with fidelity the truths handed on by the apostles. So while there are many truths we could look into, here are only some examples of the teachings that the church believed already in the first centuries and continues to believe even till today. For example, the indissolubility of marriage, that is, marriages for life between one man and one woman. The importance of celibacy in the priesthood. The real presence of Jesus Christ in the Holy Eucharist. That abortion and contraception are grave moral evils. That it is valid and it is good to pray to the saints for their intercession particularly to the Virgin Mary and the Apostles. So, there is much more to say about all this, but I would like to wrap it up in these uh, three basic reasons that I suggested, and here's a summary. The first one, then, that the Church must be one. The second, that the Church of Christ today must be a continuation of the same institution established by Christ, with the same unifying head, that is the successor of St. Peter. And a third reason, that the teachings of the Church of Christ today must be essentially the same of those taught by the Church in the time of the Apostles. Now, to finish off this episode, I would like to give you, uh, Ryan, a couple of other recommendations. Above all, you must pray for those whom you are trying to attract to the faith. Without prayer, all the reasonings are going to be useless. Secondly, when you speak, speak from your heart. Speak with charity. Speak with patience. It makes no sense whatsoever to argue with too much passion or with anger. Don't argue when you're moved by anger. It is better to listen patiently to what others have to say and then respond. In that sense, it is much better to speak one on one maybe having a coffee or something, or having lunch, than to try to speak with a whole group of people together. Besides, while on some occasions you might be called to give reasons for your faith before a group, if you truly want to bring someone to the faith, you might want to invite invite them or make room for a particular conversation with them. One-on-one, again, as I said before, with having coffee, or maybe having lunch or something, and try to build some rapport, some, if you want, trust between you and them, and show interest in their overall well-being. It is not just a matter of being right, but it's a matter of helping them see the truth. Finally, while some rational arguments, like these that I gave, these three ones, are very important, it is your conviction your faithful witness to Christ that will be most compelling to others. If not, they won't become Catholic if they don't see you truly embracing your faith. If they see that you don't value what you believe, why would they value it? If you don't live up to what you believe, then those reasons that you gave fall apart. So, Ryan, I hope I've answered your, quen- uh, your questions and your concerns. And to all those listening, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions about this or any other episode, don't hesitate to send me an email at info at dot I'd really love to hear from you and know if you like and enjoy these episodes. And if you can, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to encourage others to listen in as well. As we start this new year, 2022, may our Lord bless you abundantly. May he grant you a blessed 2022. And know that you're all in my prayers. We will see you next time.